I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are talking with Maho Molfino, author of Break the Good Girl Myth, host of the Heroin Podcast, designer and women's leadership expert, and an Enneagram 3. Maho, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sarah Jane. Yeah. So as you know, we start every episode with your rose, bud, and thorn, um, something that's going well, something you're looking forward to, and something that you aren't loving necessarily right now. What's yours? Okay. So my rose is that I, um, am, I've just eaten a delicious lunch of salmon, broccoli, uh, cucumber and garlic yogurt. And I just feel really nourished. Mm. So, <laughs> um, so that's my rose. Yeah. Um, that sounds delicious. Yeah, I'm still looking at it. I haven't quite finished it. <laughs> so I'm like, mm, it's, it looks good. <laughs> and um, some people have liked to do their thorn first so they can end on the bud. Sure. So, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. My thorn has been, um, we, um, we moved to a new home and I'm excited about that, but uh, there's a lot of allergies I didn't anticipate in the neighborhood, like grass pollen everywhere. So I've just been feeling a little, I had got a sinus infection, you know, and, uh, just reminded of my, my sensitivities. <laughs> That's been my, my thorn. <clears throat> yeah. I, um, do not love that moment where I'm like, wait, I'm a human with a body who has to like slow down. Like mm -hmm. I have things that I would like to do. Totally. Oh, I have to take care of my sinuses and like do neti potty now every night. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what are you looking forward to? Oh, I am looking forward to going to Santa Cruz with my husband. He's, he loves to surf and celebrating his birthday and our five-year anniversary of marriage. Oh, I love that. Congratulations. Thank you so much. So you are a women's leadership expert. You're like all in the feminine, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, how, how did this break open for you? Like, how did you get to this point? Well, I grew up, you know, as your typical good girl that you can imagine. I got straight A's. I, my teachers and parents loved me. I was very high achieving, typical Enneagram three. So I really had this thing where I felt I had to prove my worthiness through achievement and perfect, being perfect. Um, <clears throat> and that eventually caught up to me in my early twenties when I was at, at you know, dead end job, realizing I had been suppressing so much of my creativity and even femininity in order to fit this social archetype of the good girl, you know? So I went on a, a mission, so to speak, to reclaim my creative confidence and uh, eventually went on to earn my master's in design at Stanford University. And that was really revolutionary for me, it opened my mind quite a bit towards um, design and other mind, body, spirit modalities that I blend together both in the book, but also in my coaching work now. Mm -hmm. And with this like element of design, like what, what direction of design did you study and do you still work with? 
Yeah, so when most people think about design, they think of these industries that are pretty um, traditional or established, like graphic design, fashion design, industrial design. And I actually studied something called design thinking. So design thinking is uh, uh, a thinking process. So it's a method that allows someone to bring an idea into form. And, and it, 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 everything in this world is designed, basically. This cup that I'm looking at is designed, uh, you know, the, the chair you're sitting on, but also experiences are designed, services are designed. So if you think of the entire world as being designed, uh, there's an underlying process that brings that about, and that's design thinking. And it involves everything from empathizing with who you are designing for, so deep empathy work, all the way to prototyping, testing it, and then bringing it out into the world. That is so interesting. Like, and I think it's cool to think about how your your like all of these modalities kind of seem separate, but really blend together really beautifully. Yeah, I, when I discovered design thinking and particularly prototyping, because I had been such a good girl achiever perfectionist, I was like, what is this? This ability to just tinker and experiment and fail and be messy and fall on my face. It was like the training I didn't get in my childhood, you know, because in my childhood, it was either like right or wrong. You know, everything was about getting the grade and it wasn't about exploration and experimentation. And so design thinking really invited me to play. And I thought to myself, this is the perfect antidote for women who grew up as good girls and who developed that perfectionism. This is the way we build creative confidence is by continuing to experiment. And in that experimentation process, learning how to detach from outcomes and not get so fearful about failure or feedback and that kind of resilience, that's what I teach and that's what I practice and love. And was it was a huge part of the book, you know, in the book, you know, that I outlined the five good girl myths mm-hmm. and I weave design thinking throughout the entire book of sort of, hey, this is how I see we can borrow from design thinking to help us counter these myths. And we can talk about those five, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, where do we no start? Spoiler. <laughs> no spoiler <laughs> if we talk about the, the good girl myths. <laughs> I've talked about them all over the internet, like all over everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, so the five are, I'll just list them out and then we can dive in. So the good girl myth of rules, the good girl myth of perfection, logic, harmony, and the good girl myth of sacrifice. So it's rules, perfection, logic, harmony, and sacrifice. Mm. So what's the myth of rules? Yeah, this is a big one. It's the one I start the book off with because it's so foundational. Like if you can't break the good girl myth of rules, you're going to have trouble breaking all the other good girl myths. It's basically uh, when we're under the spell, I like to think of it as like we're under the spell of these programs (laughs) that we've inherited since we were young. So when we're under the spell of the myth of rules, we're very much following external authority and expectations instead of trusting our own needs, our own desires, and our own opinions. Mm-hmm. So this is like this looks like someone who's really doing has designed a life or created a life kind of out of default or out of sort of the expectations that they've been handed uh, from their family, from school and uh, workplace, from 
religion, and even from pop culture and media. So, um, you know, we're all peeling back these layers of, of rules and the shoulds in order to reclaim the self-authority that really is our birthright. Mm. take a quick break to hear from today's podcast sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athena Club. I have been a little bit off of my shaving game. I mean, I think it started with winter, but also just quarantining in general. Like, I don't see very many people, right? But now as I am going out a little bit more, I'm wanting to wear dresses, I don't really mind if people see that I have leg hair, but it also just feels so good to have freshly shaven legs and have like a nice smooth leg going on when you're wearing a dress. You know what I mean? I can't wait to get back into that routine. And that first shave after letting your hair grow out for a while is always so satisfying. I know you're I know you know what I'm talking about. Now, when it comes to shaving, for me, it used to be this thing that I felt like I had to do every day because I was using these disposable razors that I would get from the drugstore, and if I didn't shave every day, it was just a mess. You know, you couldn't get it, it would snag, it would hurt, I would cut myself, and now it's actually this thing that I look forward to. With the Athena razor, I get to make it part of my spa routine. I'm doing actually a spa night tonight and my razor is part of that process. I get to use the foam. It smells so good and I get to just lather up my legs and, and get the shave on and then slide my legs into my like nice soft sheets at the end of the day. It feels so good. But to do that, I need a razor that makes shaving uncomplicated and is gentle on my skin, leaving it moisturized, smooth, and bump-free. And the Athena Club razor is hands down the best razor I have ever used. Athena Club's razor has thousands of five-star reviews and is designed with built-in skin guards and an innovative handle to help prevent razor burn while being gentle on your curves. Plus, the razor blade is surrounded by a water-activated serum with shea butter, hyaluronic acid, which we love, and is honestly like a holy grail of skincare right now. The best part is the razor kit is only $9, you guys. $9! And it comes with your choice of handle color. So an extra blade head and a magnetic hook for easy shower storage. Athena Club also has the Dream Is Shave Foam that's back in stock right now. So together, the Athena Club razor and shave foam will leave your skin soft, hydrated, and smooth. Honestly, this razor makes shaving feel less like a chore and more like me time. I, again, love this razor so much. It feels like you're just, barely feels like you're shaving. It just feels like you're rubbing lotion onto your body and it's somehow making your your hair go away it feels so good and you know it is so satisfying when you cannot you can just let your leg hair grow out and still shave comfortably so special now you can show your skin you care with the athena club razor kit so you can sign up today and you will get 20 percent off your first order you just go to athenaclub.com and use the promo code egram that's A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B dot com with the promo code EGRAM for 20% off. That's 
crazy. So have so much fun with that, you guys. Thank you, Athena Club, for sponsoring the podcast. And I, I know that there are types who like are experiencing this more than others who are like, I like they, you know, we have like what we call like the compliant types who kind of fall into that. What is my role here? How do I live up to expectations? But I think we all like you, like we all do experience this from all of our different lenses of like, we learn along the way, like this is what we have to be. This is what we're supposed to be. And we manage kind of how we live up to that expectation. What's on the other side of that? I think the other side of that is designing a life that is meaningful to you and one that you have defined. So Mm. it's really a process of redefining success and also redefining failure too, because they're both uh, two sides of the same coin, but redefining okay, so this is what success looks like to my mom and dad. This is what success looks like to my partner. This is what success looks like to corporate America, to uh, whatever media, to Instagram. What does success look like to me? Like, what do I need to do on an everyday basis for me to feel like, ah, this was a truly authentically successful day for me. So I think that's what's on the other side of that is living in alignment. Mm-hmm. And then um, what about the second myth? Oh, also, Sarah Jane, I thought it'd be fun yeah. to kind of think about, because I'm always curious about like mapping different frameworks onto different frameworks, because <laughs> I'm kind of nerdy like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what, which Enneagram types do you feel like would be strong in rules? Oh, well, I definitely think ones Mm-hmm. would specifically be strong with rules. I think also threes because threes are building what their definition of success around the people that, you know, that define them, like the people they're surrounded by. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sixes also are very dutiful or looking for like, how do I fall into what's expected of me and make sure I don't let anyone down. Okay, cool. Yeah. So um, the myth of perfection is the second one. And this is Demanding perfection in ourselves and others instead of embracing mistakes and the reality of how things are. And I'll just say, of course, a lot of the good girl myths have um, overlaps and they're interrelated and interlinked. So perfection and rules tend to hang together quite a bit. Um, But I think about rules as you're following something external versus in the myth of perfection. It's really about demanding perfection in yourself. And so you're setting the bar and you're setting it impossibly high for yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's creating this feeling of, oh, I'm never good enough and I'm never doing enough. And, and so um, definitely ones and threes in here as well, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty get, getting cozy in here. And I wonder about our fives too, like just never, because I know our fives like never quite feel informed enough to call themselves an expert. And I think that that's its own special form of perfectionism for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I would agree with that. And so when we break the good girl myth of perfection, it's really about reclaiming our vulnerability, our authenticity. And in the book, I spent a great deal of time talking about uh, prototyping and building creative confidence as a way to counter perfectionism, but also how do we reclaim our worthiness? Um, How do we detach our worthiness from work, you know? And Mm -hmm start to attach it to something a little bit more fundamental (laughs) and like just being here and existing and 
and how much of the work has been for me and the inner work and shifts is, you know, not to feel like I'm a failure at the end of the day, if I didn't quote unquote do enough and just really mm-hmm. trust that I'm worthy, uh, just because I'm here and I'm me. Oh, I feel like that is like, if, if threes didn't do anything else in their lives and they were able to absorb that, like that is such a big deal. Totally. <laughs> Yeah, this book is like definitely four threes written by three <laughs> yeah. and for all of you, but like it's definitely like very gets there. The oh, board. it's incredible because I think that really is like a, a moment of – and I, I know our ones feel this way too where oftentimes they feel like, oh, I'm loved and I am for what I do mm-hmm. and I am what I do versus I am okay when I don't do. That's that's like the, the eternal lesson. Absolutely. Couldn't agree mm. more. I'd be curious as we go, I think we're going to hit other parts of the Enneagram chart as we go through the other good girl maps. So yeah. let's see. Um, the myth of logic. This one is when you're choosing logic over intuition, particularly in decision-making. And the argument I make here is like, you know, pretty early on as girls, we learn that it, maybe it's not safe to be in our bodies and maybe we learn to divorce or drop our bodies and we get some of us, there's a portion of us that can get really cerebral and analytical and we think really hard and like overthink things, but we also like to choose what's logical instead of what our intuition is actually telling us. Um, and you know, this can be for big life decisions, like what career should I choose to what relationship, you know, uh, feels good to me to be in, uh, to little decisions as well. Like what, what should I eat today? Or, uh, should I go for a walk? And, um, for me personally, this is my secondary good girl myth. So I'm someone who has, yeah, I think we even talked about it at the beginning of this call, right? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I mentioned about my science and like, Oh, realizing I have allergies, like, Oh, like realizing I have a body, like that's been a lot of my, (laughs) a lot of it, you know, just coming back to the body. And that's the work for, for girls under the spell of this good girl myth. Mm. Well, this is actually, so I definitely think there's an element of head type here, like five, six, and sevens for sure. Mm. Um, who can kind of live from the neck up and forget yes. that there's like all this other p- being that's there that has information and data for them. Um, but I also think that, you know, one of the cool things about the Enneagram um, is that we have three centers, right? We have the head center, the heart center, and the body center. Mm. And you, what you're saying lines up so much with what we teach in the Enneagram, which is just tapping into like connecting to all three centers. And a lot of times we have to start in the body and the body is holding so much information for us. Um, so that lines up perfectly. Which is a relearning for a lot of us, right? Mm-hmm. Or an unlearning of tendencies that we picked up as little, little children yeah. around whether it was safe to be in our bodies or not. And, mm-hmm. and also, you know, I think I, I talk about how when I hit puberty, it was like this really intense shift too, where it was like, oh, like now my body's like becoming like uh, foreign or mature and like I don't relate to it as much. And this sort of like divorce that happened around that age for me Um, and some and in some other cases for other clients of mine, you know, it can relate to trauma as well. And and there's so many reasons why we develop the good girl myths. Uh, We all have our unique stories. And it's really an invitation for all my readers just to, I think very similar to the Enneagram, to look at blind spots 
right? And mm-hmm. see how we can how we can be better by looking at the shadow instead of just suppressing it or putting it in some corner over there because it will come out <laughs> some other way. Yeah. And honestly, when you're talking about that feeling of, um, you know, like being puberty in your body and I think about how often in life, like as a, as a female identifying person in our society, like my body has not felt like it belonged to me. Like it has often felt like it is for the consumption of other people, whether that's their opinions on it or their, um, desire for it or their lack of desire for it or like it all surrounded like everyone else's or their desire for me to hide it or to change it in some way like it was never it took a long time for it to feel like it was for me and that it was mine yeah I'm so glad you bring that up Sarah Jane because that's exactly it when we hit that point and I think for a lot of us growing up in patriarchy particularly Mm -hmm. is we go from being subject as children, right, to object, you know, and that shift can be really jarring Mm -hmm. and can have repercussions. It's about how we're perceived by others more so than the agency that we have and what we want. Mm. And and that's big. And so that's, I think a lot of us are doing that work of of reclaiming that agency. Um, Okay. So fourth good girl myth is really, really big one. I see it's in so many of my clients, podcast listeners, friends, family. This is the good girl myth of harmony. So it's seeking harmony instead of embracing the conflict and confrontation needed for change. Mm. And boy, yeah. So, (laughs) you know, uh, when I think about the strategy for approval for this good girl myth, it's like, oh, I really want to be easy. I don't, you know, easy to get along with. I don't, I want peace. I don't want, you know, I just, you know, don't worry about it. I want it to be stress-free. Um, I don't want to cause trouble or hassle or rock the boat. And so that mentality leads to holding back our voices when we actually need to be speaking up. And, and so I, you know, in the, in the book, I, in that chapter, particularly, I spend time thinking about like, okay, how does this manifest again in small ways in different life areas in your career, your well-being, your relationships, particularly, but then also big ways, like next thing you know, you're in a toxic partnership for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that that's what happens. And that fear of creating a disconnect or like creating discomfort in them allows you to kind of tolerate things for way too long. Exactly. Way too long. And then to let it, you know, eventually implodes or explodes down the line. So, you know, I have this uh, term in the book I call relationship hygiene. Like we brush our teeth, we comb our hair, we take showers. Like we have to have relationship hygiene, which is Mm. over communicating, giving people feedback constantly and you receiving feedback constantly. There's something about, you know, when we have this like good girl mentality or avoidance culture where it's like, oh, we don't give each other feedback, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so when triggers happen, there's like no conversation that can, that, that is able to emerge, just gets swallowed and then, you know, gets put in some uh, bitter bucket in the back of your mind that then you later draw from <laughs> to, to say, well, you did that, you know, last time. Yeah. And so it just causes problems. And so you know, a big thing I talk about and, you know, what I learned from design thinking and, and because design is such a collaborative, creative process, 
is the beauty of feedback. We like to say feedback is a gift, even feedback that feels hard to receive or hard to hear. And especially for those of us who also like to, you know, um, we are, when we hinge so much on performing well and being perfect and following rules, you know, hearing feedback can be difficult for us too. We can feel like, oh my God, I've done something wrong or I'm in trouble or I'm not good. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it's almost like not wanting to hear other people's feedback. Right. And then also not wanting to give feedback to people who, and so it's learning this new way of being, which is I'm going to over communicate. I'm going to receive, I'm going to give feedback and that's going to be part of my growth. That I think that's huge. Yeah. I think the nines in the room are like shaking their head, like nodding their head right now. Cause they're like, this is my life. Um, <laughs> that's right. There's like the peacekeeper, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is like, that's their MO. Mm-hmm. And I get, honestly, I get questions all the time from nines who are like, how do I, you know, I know my partner wants me to communicate more, but I don't even know where to begin. And I love what you said about relationship hygiene, like this being just a part of keeping things in order. Yeah, exactly. Because it's easy to go with the daily humdrum and not mention anything for days, weeks, years, mm-hmm. but that will catch up. <laughs> so, so you kind of need that. You need to clean the house. You need to maintain it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I have some frameworks and tools in that chapter that I have found to be really, really useful for practicing to use the voice mm. and learning that skill. It's a skill. If we didn't learn it when we were young or if we had our, if we, over, if we went through some trauma in which we were silenced or felt like we couldn't use our voices, we have to relearn the skill. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Okay. What about our fifth? Yeah. The good girl myth of sacrifice is deep, deep, deep roots. We're talking millennia of mm. kind of conditioning around women need to be su- in the supporting role, need to be supporting a uh, man who is in the center. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and how, how many, how many of us can fall into the trap of defining ourselves by the roles, right? The roles that we play as friend, mother, daughter, sister, either the relational roles that we inhabit and identify with to such a degree that the next thing you know, we're on, we as a person are at the bottom of the list. And so this is when we're putting other people's needs above our own at the expense of our self-care and well-being. And every time I come to sacrifice, I like to say a big caveat, which I feel like I should say at the beginning of the five good girl myths, which is there's nothing inherently wrong with any of these qualities like rules, perfection, harmony, sacrifice, logic. They all, there's all, there's always a place for them in the world. And there's a time and context when it makes sense to have to be sacrificing. Like if you're a new mother, right? Um, The difference in the nuance that I really invite women to think about is, am I choosing this or am I defaulting into it? Oh, yeah. That's the difference. So sacrifice is a beautiful, noble quality and something that humans have been figured out to do, which has been really helpful for us for future visioning and You know, we need to sacrifice things in the present moment for the future. So it's actually a really wonderful quality. The issue is when it's an overdrive and when it's happening on a subconscious level again and again and again, and we don't notice it, that we are, you know, in a martyr role because that's what we've inherited from our media and our religions and our ideas of what it means to be a mother. And 
Hmm. It's really not, it's really not going to work out for us, you know? And we see it with, we see it with women in their fifties and sixties who, after their kids leave the house, they are, have a crisis of identity. They're like, who am I? You know, what am I here to do? Like now I've get, and now I'm not, you know, now the role of mom is kind of wrapped up. Like, I mean, it's always there, but like the more active part of it is come to a, a fizzle. So I'm, I'm wondering like, what, what do I want? The question becomes, what do I want? And, and I think that uh, my hope with writing this book is to, for women of all ages, like ask yourself that question sooner, you know, mm-hmm. and, and really understand like, what is it that, what do you need, especially for your self care and well being, And how can you choose yourself first? It's not selfish. It's not selfish. Mm. I think that, so when we think about Enneagramming it, I think twos are like the most obvious, like, okay, they need to hear that phrase. I'm not selfish. Just on repeat in the back of their mind Mm -hmm. forever. Um, And I think there's an element of like nines and sixes and ones that fall into this too. But I am curious how your thoughts on this, but I think a lot of times our eights get under uh, we don't we don't acknowledge this side of eight very much, but the reality is that most eights are feel responsible for the people in their lives and feel mm. like they're providers. Yes, and so it's like, well, I'm the strong one, so like I can take it. Yes, that's big. I yes, because that's it's it's like a desire to fix other people's problems mm-hmm. and get overly involved. But that we we get into dynamics that are not healthy because. We're solving a problem for someone else that they could probably solve for themselves. And, Mm -hmm. and by, and ironically, we're disempowering them, even though we think we're helping them. And so that's really big. Um, You know, and I think, I think learning how to hold back and uh, have some self-restraint it's a practice, you know, for women who their tendency is to have the good girl myth of sacrifice. It's the practice of boundaries and self-restraint because your, your default tendency is going to want to be to help. You have so much empathy and compassion in your heart or your problem solver fixer type. And you want to really help, um, that your tendency is to want to be involved. And so you, the practice for you is to, to hold your energy in, to uh, practice self-restraint and, you know, I also practice com- things like compassionate listening, where you're you're listening without actually getting involved. Mm. Yeah, which is transformative for the other person. Actually, when you think about it, it's sometimes that is more empowering. Just you deeply listening compassionately to someone else who is suffering, instead of trying to serve them, help them, solve the problem, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because then they can do it themselves. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, like we just want to be known and seen and that I think like for the people in our lives, being able to be seen by them, it means so much more than trying to be solved by them. Yes. Yeah. That is such a good way of putting it. Beautiful way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Maho, you have given us so much mm-hmm. in this time together. I feel like your book is going to just, I mean, I, I, like expanding on all of this, I know is going to be life-changing for people. Thank you so much. It's been amazing to hear and read the response from readers. Like I love your DMs. I love your shares. 
your emails. They warm my heart and they help me uh, keep going, you know, because for me, actually, with this work, one of the ways I've had to redefine success for myself has been focusing on depth of impact mm. more so than whether this book gets on the New York Times bestseller list or sells millions of copies is more about what I'm reorienting towards is depth of impact. And so when someone writes me a touching review or sends me a DM about how they've realized their good girl myths and are changing their lives, that to me, makes everything worthwhile. So please mm. reach out. Um, Maher, are you ready for our rapid fire questions? I'm ready. Awesome. Okay. Um, dun, dun, dun. The first book that comes to mind. I'm currently reading Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bully. A favorite song? Mm, I love Fiona Apple's Honey. Ooh, that's a fun one. Something you wish people knew about you? Um, I mean, I wish people knew about me. Oh gosh, rapid fire brain can't overthinking <laughs> it. Ah. Oh, I, I wish you knew I, I speak three languages. I speak French and Spanish too. That's cool. Um, yeah. Your dream day. What are you doing? I'm going for a hike in nature. I am, um, eating nutritious food. I'm, uh, oh, I'm writing. It's like entering an imaginal space that feels magical. Um, that like made me want to be in a feeling like that description. I was like, I don't know. This just makes me feel things. (laughs) I love it. Your final meal. What are you eating? Like the final meal that, that I just had or like my final meal like before like I die? If, yeah, like the big one. Like you're like, okay, this is the last thing you'll ever eat. Oh, for sure pizza. <laughs> I'm obsessed with it. Like I don't know. It's like my Italian roots. Like I just need like the soft crust and the melting cheese and like it's it's all – it's very gluten-filled, <laughs> dairy-filled. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Okay, so I have specification questions for this one. Is what style of pizza and then what are your toppings? Like is it like New York style? Is it like deep dish? You no, know, it's definitely Napolitana. So we're talking, oh. you know, brick oven, flash, flash heat, and it just melts. So it's like melty. So it's the kind of pizza you pick up and then it melts, like it falls mm-hmm. because you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I'm just a I'm a classic margarita, like red tomato basil kind of girl. Yeah. You can't beat that. Yeah. It's just classic. It's good so ingredients. Good. Like, mm. yeah. Um, okay. So I like to ask for a food for thought. So something that people who are listening to the podcast can just go throughout their day and think on as they move throughout their day. Uh, I am worthy simply because I exist. Mm. And Where can we keep in touch? Where can we get your book? Where are you online? How can we hang out with you? Sure. So book is available at goodgirlmyth.com. That URL will take you also to my website where you can explore all the things. I have free meditations and a free quiz you can take. And I hang out on Instagram quite a bit. My handle is at Maho Molfino, Maho spelled M-A-J-O. 
And then from there, you should be able to find me. <laughs> and your website is beautiful. Oh, it just feels you. like how you, like what you teach, it like feels like that on your website. Oh, that means a lot. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, thank you so much for coming on the show and just like offering so much to our listeners and, and being present with it. And I cannot wait to read your book. Thank you so much for having me. I loved this conversation.